Hello everyone, this is Justin Hicks with Just In Time For Sports, and it looks like you guys are ready on this May 24th Memorial Day weekend, where we pay homage to those men and women who have fought, sacrificed their family, lives, gave it all to protect us. One of the greatest holidays of the year, and I'm so proud to be from this country and have the armed forces that we have. They're truly, truly amazing. If you see a veteran or have a veteran in your family, give them a hug today. Extra tight. This is the weekend truly for them. This Memorial Day weekend. Yes, it's a little strange this year. We're all used to sports, obviously. But it's also a time for remembrance. And, uh, I would be remiss if I did not pay homage and my sincerest regards to the family families of Eddie Sutton and Jerry Sloan. Eddie Sutton, 84 years old, passed yesterday, May 23rd. He coached at Oklahoma State, his alma mater where he was the winningest coach at Oklahoma State. The court is actually named after him, Sutton Court. He also coached at Kentucky, Arkansas, the Creighton Blue Jays, and the University of San Francisco Dons. San Francisco being his last stop, Creighton being his first. Eddie Sutton... His ninth all-time in wins is over the 800-win mark with 806 total wins and had 26 tournament appearances in 37 seasons. In 2011, Coach Sutton was inducted into the College Basketball Hall of Fame. And this year, he's set to go with the greats. Tim Duncan, Kevin Garnett, he and Kobe Bryant will be the two posthumously inductees, or inductees inducted posthumously, I should say. The only time Arkansas ever beat a number one team still to this day, they were led by Coach Sutton. They faced Michael Jordan and his fearless Tar Heels. The pandemonium at Pine Bluff. 65-64, to 64, knocking off the top-seeded team, the top-ranked team, when they were unranked. And that in itself is a career. I could remember a few players. Desmond Mason is one that really sticks out that I look at Coach Sutton and you hear about his success elsewhere. But he was one of the first coaches at a, wasn't a small program, but when I started watching college basketball, I mean, he was there virtually most of my life, a big chunk of my life. And I looked at him as kind of like, this guy, he could do some things. Coach Sutton, you will be missed dearly. Thank you for your time. Jerry Sloan, the original bull, also passed this week. 
It's called the original bull because before Michael, Scotty, Rodman, Derrick Rose, all these famous Bulls players, Jerry Sloan was the man that did what it took. He he was the bull. He was Chicago's face of the franchise. In his ten seasons, eleven overall playing career, he averaged fourteen points per game. I actually looked in on it, closer to the fifteen mark for judging fourteen point seven. A four twenty seven field goal percentage. And played in 755 career games. Charlie Hustle was the name of Jerry Sloan because of his tenacious defense and his willingness to put whatever it took, body, mind, whatever, will. Jerry Sloan would do that. 17.6 points per game at Evansville which was a D2 school at that time. Now it's the University of Evansville, where he led them to the Division II championship. He was a two-time All-Star with Chicago, six-time All-NBA defensive player, and again, known for his tenacious defense. Jalen Rose actually spoke out on... uh, first take I believe it was this week talking about the greatest coach of all time forget the player but the coach and he mentioned the guys that he coached up I mean he coached greats he coached Carl Malone one of the best scorers of his era or any other John Stockton my personal favorite point guard to go back and look at film on to this day and I still remember those finals against the Bulls Kind of funny, the correlation between a Jerry Sloan and the Chicago Bulls. But they were known, yeah, they may be known for their scoring and their high-powered offense. But Jalen said, I, I can't remember exactly verbatim, but he said, basically Sloan's guys, they didn't try to switch. They would, they would take the pick. And Sloan had utmost faith in those guys to recalibrate, get back on defense, get back on their man, force a turnover, force a missed shot, force an opportunity. That's how he coached. Very energetic. 1,221 wins behind only Don Nelson, Lenny Wilkins, and the current Greg Popovich. 98 playoff games won. That is sixth all-time in his 26-year overall coaching career. 23 years at Utah. 20 times he reached the playoffs with two NBA final appearances. And he's number two all-time in wins with one team. The first coach to ever win 1,000 games with one team. Amazing statistics, and honestly, in this day and time, I mean, we have Greg Popovich, and, and Greg is there just ahead of Sloan. I don't think any of these records are broken. I don't think we'll ever see a crack in the top 
top five even. I mean, other than Popovich, who is there currently, just because of the way the game has changed. To spend your entire career, your entire career, 15 seasons, they were the most dominant team. Yeah, we talked about the Jordan Bulls, but the overall win percentage, the overall win percentage of that team, it was it was unmatched. For 15 straight seasons, they were the best team in the NBA overall, according statistically, according to stats. One famous little nugget I found, and it kind of speaks to Jerry's character. I found out he was four years old when his father passed, and it it made him it made I I want to say it turned him into the leader that he became. His sister-in-law passed away. He was playing at this time. He was a pallbearer at her funeral. He leads the Bulls to a win, playing 44 minutes, 27 points, and 14 rebounds. And teammates were just stunned in astonishment. This guy just mere hours before was a pallbearer in a in his sister-in-law's funeral. I mean, then he's re- this doesn't happen nowadays, folks. I mean, Isaiah Thomas, yeah, we go back and that was his sister. That was tragic and he put on a one heck of a performance. And I'm proud of Isaiah by the way, but this was something this was like another era. A 2009 Hall of Famer, Jerry Sloan, you will be missed by the city of Chicago, by the city of Utah, or Salt Lake, I should say, the state of Utah, and by NBA fans all around the world. One of the greatest coaches to ever do it. He passed with Something called a Lewy body disease, basically a deterioration due to Alzheimer's. It's like a physical effect of Alzheimer's, along with Parkinson's. He announced it a few years back, I think 2013. He didn't want any spotlight. One of the local beat writers talked to Jerry and that just, that just shows his humility, his humbleness. So Jerry and Eddie, two greats, two all-time legends, two Hall of Famers officially now. May you guys rest in eternal bliss on this Memorial Day weekend. I also want to talk about a little bit about Jimmy Glenn. Jimmy Glenn is someone I didn't know a ton about. An amateur boxer back in the day. He actually boxed heavyweight champion Floyd Patterson. Floyd beat him. But Jimmy went the distance. A lot of people... I'm relatively new with the passion of boxing that I have. I love the sport. 
and a lot of people that, that aren't into boxing may not know Jimmy. He was the owner of Jimmy's Corner, a huge staple in New York, just the sports scene and, and bar, a great place to visit, even if you're not into sports. He, he loved people. I watched his service yesterday. It was a virtual service over Facebook. It was tear-jerking, obviously, just like any other service, but you could tell the man was loved. I found out about Jimmy Glenn over Twitter. I said, oh, man. Some, he, he, he passed with the coronavirus, by the way. Complications from the coronavirus, as reported, his son Adam was uh, telling the media and friends, family. But Jimmy was a mainstay in the New York boxing scene and the boxing scene all around. He would welcome anyone in his club or dive bar. I see the name dive bar a lot. And just hang out. And he was so full of love. A smile on his face every time. Yesterday, they said he never met a stranger. That's one word. That's one phrase that kind of correlated with me. Jimmy never met a stranger. His granddaughter told of the love and lessons from Jimmy. He loved unconditionally, but he would play like a game of Pinochle or Checkers, two of his favorite games to play. And he would beat him. He wouldn't take it easy. That's that old school work ethic. Jimmy was famous around the boxing world. He actually opened the, the bar up. 1947 named it Jimmy's Corner where he would swap boxing tails with patrons all over he was also a one time Muhammad Ali trainer just a boxing fixture Lou DiBella famed a hall of fame boxing promoter said other than my father, Jimmy was the best man I've ever known. And I could tell he was just heart heartbroken. Again, I'm, I'm new to the boxing community, but it's honestly sad I will never get to meet Jimmy Glenn, at least in this lifetime. But hearing all the good tales and his rise to fame, what he did for his community. He had a charity at a church on the top floor. It was the uh, the PAL, P-A-L, like buddy, hey pal, hey buddy, organization to keep the youth off the streets in a church, train kids to box, teach them a, a craft, a skill. Many of those kids went on to reach great heights in the in the boxing field. Many of those kids are millionaires now because of Jimmy Glenn getting them off the streets. And that was this was one word, father, grandfather, he loved. If I could say anything about Jimmy Glenn without knowing him, I could say he was well loved. And on this Memorial Day weekend, I had to start off with those three in particular just to give them their respect that they most absolutely deserve. 
Jimmy, Jerry, and Eddie, wherever you guys are today, thank you. Thank you for all your contributions to your sport. We're going on to NCAA football for a minute. I've done a little research on my football. This coronavirus has cut into, obviously, every caveat of every everyday life. You know, order takeout. We can't go to the grocery store. We can't do this, that. We can't go to the movies. Whatever daily activity we were doing before, exercises even. I'm not big of an exerciser, guys. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I was healthy when I was young, and I like to keep it at that younger I'm talking like seven to ten years of age but the coronavirus it's obviously an economical effect on this countries and countries around the world the entire globe but let's talk about the impact it's had on sports you know we had some mega fights in boxing getting ready to take place the NASCAR season Starting up, they're actually, we'll get into that in a little bit. They're going to race tonight at Charlotte, their Coke 600, Indy 500 again. It's actually canceled till August. But I want to talk a little bit about football because it's the, it's the elephant in the room right now. It's the unknown. After reading an ESPN report, the NCAA could lose up to four, in between four and five billion dollars Ohio State after talking to AD Gene Smith if currently by the uh, social distance rules 20,000 fans would be in attendance in a 100,000 seating arrangement my home state's flag bearer Neil Brown WVU's head coach he was one that Heather Denich of ESPN spoke with. And she said, Neil Brown says, quote, Hey, we're a practice sport. Most of the time we play in a scrimmage. It isn't in front of fans, so it wouldn't be that unusual. So these coaches, they want to play. Obviously, everybody wants to. Nobody, of course, wish this virus, at least I hope. I hope not upon anyone but these guys want to get out there especially on the economical ramifications that these colleges will face if we don't do a season or the season is delayed maybe cut in half people already rescheduling conference games and conference championships the way they're doing that there's talk of that plus after the March Madness delay there was about a 375 million dollar blow dealt to them just because of the two tournaments NCAA men and women's alone division one TCU's athletic director Jeremy Donati if no football season or if if shortened or delayed there will be a massive fallout massive cutbacks could the department go on? sure it would probably look smaller 
there would potentially be fewer sports. Fewer sports. The MAC has already looked into this. Akron cutting out their men's golf, women's tennis. Central Michigan, men's track and field. Bowling Green, baseball. Cincinnati, I know they're not in the MAC, but men's soccer. Old Dominion, wrestling. The MAC conference alone shut down eight sports, including lacrosse, baseball, women's softball, soccer, tennis, track and field, cross country, wrestling. So this virus, it cuts in deep at this moment. You know, we're sitting here, we're a little under 100 days away and there's been no camps. You know, we just had our virtual draft, which I think was largely a success. There's nothing else going on. So we had to watch. We've seen Burrow, we've seen Chase Young, we've seen Okuda, we've seen all these guys go, Simmons, Tua, Tungvaola, to the Miami Dolphins. I'll get into that in another podcast. But uh, this has had an economical stranglehold on everything, but collegiate sports, especially at a time in where we have something called the Fair Play Act, something I looked into a little bit. California obviously passed it, where players could get paid for their likeness, for endorsements, for whatever, jerseys, well, that would be the player likeness, but endorsements, this is a huge deal. If that would have happened at Ohio State back in Jim Trestle's tenure, he would not be gone right now. I'm going to get back into what director of sports business at the Washington University in St. Louis, Pat Risch, said. He said, football will be played even if in spring because astronomical financial implications. It's basically leaving the NCAA football no choice but to put on some type of game, some type of show. Riss's estimation, 65 Power 5 schools would affect collectively lose more than $4 billion in football revenue, with at least $1.2 billion due to lost ticket sales. Each school losing $62 million in football, 18.6 in tax revenue across the season in the long haul. Power 5 ADs on average make half the revenue from football anyway. 14% from ticket sales. Anywhere from 75 to 85% of all revenue to our department are derived directly or indirectly from football. Oregon State Athletic Director Scott Barnes says, 
here's my take. Imagine a Clemson or a Texas. Texas is fairly well-rounded in all sports, thankfully to them, but I mean, they're well-known for their football program. But a USC, an Alabama, an Oklahoma, a Michigan, an Ohio State, a Florida State... The indirect way, Barnes goes on to say, sponsorship dollars, multimedia rights, and I want to get into that for a bit. ACC Network. Clemson keeping them afloat here lately. I'm not busting on the other schools, but Clemson, obviously in the in the era of Dabo. What was Clemson known for, known for before? SEC Network. Huge commodity. ESPN with all these streaming streaming centers. They're forced to put on older content, which again I don't mind. I got to watch I got to watch the Florida State Miami game of two thousand and one the other day. Loved it. But that's gonna run out. People's already seen that five, six times already. So the streaming platform, your ACC networks, your Big Ten. Texas has its Longhorn network. And you're running low on content right now because we're forced to stay at home. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying leave by any means. I'm not saying, hey, let's go out, let's have a party, let's go to the beach, blah, blah, blah. I'm just trying to find a blueprint to fix all this. I don't get paid for that. I don't get paid anything, as a matter of fact. But I know these guys do. And I really hope that they can find something before, especially college football, seeing that revenue. NFL is its own animal in itself. I think the NFL will survive, but this could change the college football game forever. And I wanted to get back into that likeness, the fair play law. It's basically giving the Pac-12 a leg up. Also, I want to say one little tidbit of information. A lot of the Pac-12 schools, Arizona, Arizona State, Oregon State, um, who Utah, a lot of the coaching staffs are giving some of their salaries back. Knowing the financial implications to come they're just trying to bear the storm ride it out hopefully by Labor Day weekend before preferably there's something a vaccine something some kind of hope and we get sports somewhat back to normal because there is going to be fear yes I get that I'm scared myself if I don't, if I absolutely don't have to go out, I do not go out like most Americans. But this is this is something I'm like we faced, especially at the collegiate level or any sport level. I can't remember a time where every sport was shut down. And I mean, I mentioned again the fair play law. It's went through giving the Pac-12 kind of a leg up, like in California, you can now offer 
players endorsement deals, likenesses of their character, imaging. Like say NCAA football, one of the most famous gaming franchises of EA Sports. I love it, by the way. I would love to see a comeback, but if it's going to cost... Pay, I, I don't know. I'm on the fence about the pay-for-play. Because there's no... Is it fair? Say you're a track and field star at USC. Are you going to be making the same amount of money as a Keaton Slovis is, the USC quarterback? Kurt Warner trained, by the way. I loved Keaton's game last year when he really stepped up big time. I'm sorry. I mean, track and field, lacrosse. I'm not knocking these sports at all. It takes a huge amount of wherewithal on the body, overall athleticism. But college football is a cash cow, as we've seen in the past. Heck, do you think the left, the backup left tackle for USC is going to make as much as the running back or, or the quarterback? Again, not knocking the positions, but when we buy jerseys nine times out of ten, they're skill position. It's a quarterback, a running back, receiver, maybe a linebacker here and there. The deal is to brass tacks, football's already making more than a lacrosse. And virtually every other sport. These sports have to rely on football. So I don't know where I sit on the fair play. Play to pay act. It was passed in California. Where does that leave recruiting? Does California dominate the recruiting scene for a while? While an Alabama, a Clemson, an Oklahoma, a Texas have to wait just a little bit we'll see that'll definitely tell the tale now I want to get into my love from earlier I mentioned Mr. Jimmy Glenn I want to talk a little bit about the pay discrepancy between boxing and UFC a touchy subject for me I love professional wrestling. I love boxing. I actually like MMA. But I do not watch the UFC product. I'm not a huge fan of Dana White. Admittedly so. Through my social media accounts. But I wanted to give a little a little feedback. And I don't know. Maybe, maybe both sports are broken. Maybe there needs to be a middle ground. But I will take it back. Canelo in his last fight against Sergey Kovalev, $35 million. John Bones Jones, arguably the greatest, if not the greatest, one of the greatest, you have to speak of, $500,000 at his last UFC outing. So $500,000 to $35 million. That's a big, uh, that's a big gap right there. And then if you look at John Jones, he's the headliner. 
What are the undercard making? The uh, current women's bantamweight champion, I think she made 250000 in one of her last title defenses or title matches. Yes, UFC is more popular at this time. There's a little bit for everybody. There's some boxing involved. There's some stand-up. There's some kicking, some Muay Thai knees. A little bit of wrestling, a little bit of grappling, submissions. I think that's why it's more of a popular sport because you can go back from anything, any anything like childhood. A lot of people wrestled back in the day, you know, amateur, amateur wrestling. Boxing is more of a stand-up game. Punches, fist flying, trying to knock the other guy down. <laughs> trying to get that win, get that KO. Of course, the UFC is trying to get the KO, but in several different ways, whether it be a kick or knee or an elbow. And I honestly, I enjoy that stuff. I'm a, I'm a pro wrestling fan. I love the guys who have came from a wrestling background, like a Ken Shamrock, like a Dan... Severin. I remember Matt Hughes. He was one of my favorites during his time. But slowly I turned away from UFC. And I wanted to talk about the buy rates. Connor and Floyd, a few years back, sold out $4.3 million buys. That's second to the Mayweather-Pacquiao. And yes, Maypac was a little... I think they let it marinate a little too long, a little too much. But obviously, if you cross-promote UFC and boxing, you're going to get eyes from both sports. Because the boxing purists, we already know. We know these straight-up UFC guys are going to go down. Nobody really stands a chance, honestly, against the top-tier guys, I should say, like a Floyd Mayweather. If someone's to go in there against Canelo Alvarez right now, he would destroy them. I hate to say that, but boxing, Sergio Mora said it perfectly on a show on the zone the other day. There's a sweet science. We're not hitting in the back of the head. We're not going for the lockup. We're looking, we're calculating our best punches. We're trying to get that money, that sweet shot, that one that's going to drop you. If it takes 12 rounds or 10 rounds or three rounds or whatever, that's what they're looking for. It's very tactical and meticulous. And I'm not saying UFC isn't. But so many times I've just seen fly-by-night haymakers. Lucky punches. And yeah, lucky punches happen in boxing too. But I don't know. Something about the UFC. Not saying I'm not a fan. But 7 out of 10 of the top pay-per-view events ever in pay-per-view history. Three of them come from UFC. Connor Khabib, Connor Diaz, Nate Diaz. I assume the second fight. And then Brock Lesnar and Frank Mir. Again, going back to my wrestling roots. Now the bottom tier fighters, they gotta make a little more. That, that's my whole debate. You can't go in a fight making 10,000 5,000 bucks on the undercard or prelim. I mean some boxers do it. Yeah, I'll I'll give you that. But they're fighting their way up, top prospects. There's a lot of top prospects out there. There's a lot of 
lot of promotions. We have PBC. We have Mayweather, Money Mayweather's promotion. We have Golden Boy, who is always looking for top talent. Mexican, top Hispanic talent. Ryan Garcia, Canelo Alvarez. I'm not knocking them. I, I love, actually love watching those two guys box, but they'll take on anyone virtually. Devin Haney, my favorite to watch in the game right now, and I'm glad I caught him at this time. 21 years of age, already a champion. I'm excited for his future. But these guys are making way more in purse money. Ryan Garcia is slated if he was to fight some lower-tier boxer, and I'm not knocking the boxer, he's 11-0. But there's a $250,000 fight for the guy that loses. And Garcia, more. That's not happening in the UFC, especially on the prelim, especially on the undercard, especially the co-main even. As I said, the women's bantamweight champion made $250,000 to $300,000. That's one fight for Ryan Garcia's opponent, the B-side player in that situation because there is an A-side and there is a B-side. We've seen it. It's It's been in boxing folklore for years. Chris Algieri, I heard this on a podcast. He's a phenomenal middleweight right now. And Welter. He makes 98%... Uh, he makes, on average, 98% more money than all UFC fighters right now. 98%. Chris has only lost three fights. One was to Spence. The other, I think, was to Mayweather. I can't remember the other fight. I would have to look it up. But Chris Algieri, and he's also, he can fight MMA. Chris Algieri is a pro's pro. He's a nutritionist. He has other businesses going on. He's got his he's got his stuff lined out, basically. But he makes, on average, 98% more than all UFC fighters. I dove deep, a little deeper. And I think the real answer is, is, is why, you know, why are they making more? UFC's obviously more popular. Looking at a little bit of things, Dana White. I mean, some, some boxing purists again. And I, in agreement, when Dana White first took over, it was a bum fight. It was a glorified bum fight. boxing pay-per-view platform has been around for ages it's an ever long sport the pay-per-view format and different promoters and promotions like Hearns with Matchroom Eddie Hearns, Oscar De La Hoya Mayweather Bob Arum at Top Rank Al Heyman with PBC you have UFC with Dana White and their lone promoter. I'm just trying to stick up for the smaller guys, especially on these huge pay-per-view events. And maybe that's something to come in the future. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm no. I have no crystal ball, so I can't speak on it. But I would like to see some fair play there, some fair pay for play, because these guys are they're warriors. Whether it's in an octagon or for a squared circle, four corners. 
you're going in there and you're risking life and limb. And it's happened. We just, we we seen Patrick Day, unfortunately, a few months back, right before the end of 2019, pass away. And boxing, both dangerous sports. Why not compensate these guys to where when they quit, when they hang it up, and it could take one fight, you know, they're financially stable. Their family is financially stable. That's my only issue. Now we're getting into NASCAR tonight. The Coke 600 will be ran, and it's kind of a... This is a historical moment. As of yesterday, the condos at the racetrack in Charlotte, five people per condo who who own the condos, and I had to actually see the lady that owns a condo there. I think her name was Trish. Well, they just went by the first name. She was on ESPN last night. She was a pioneer, Kenny Mayne called her. It was a great interview. Uh, she plans on having her four guests over, the five per condo. So we're finally getting spectators. Yeah, it's it's not much, but it's something. We're going to have some fans at the event. And I'm really proud of what NASCAR is doing. I'm honestly proud of what UFC did, honestly, to get back into that. But NASCAR, this is their weekend. This is the ultimate racing weekend for the ultimate warriors out there their service men and women the Indy 500 my favorite race this is my favorite race weekend by far but the Indy 500 obviously it's it's scheduled it's rescheduled I think to August 23rd it's been cancelled six times I want to talk about that for a second because this is a fun little nugget Two weeks before the U.S. entered World War I in 1917, they declared Indy Motor Speedway a race hub. The 500 resumed back in 1919, so you missed the 17 and the 18. World War II, December 28, 1941. They canceled the event, resumed it in 1945. It was not an aviation hub or tankers or anything like that where the track has now obviously been resurfaced, rebuilt for about $745,000. The owner at that time told her son, rebuild it, tear it down and rebuild it. That's what Indy does, and that's what they're going to do again. They're very hopeful to get this in August 23rd, and of course they want the spectators there. I want them there too, but man, you think of the history War and we're kind of at war with this virus. It's been 17 servicemen that drove in the Indy 500 race. Champions. That's why this is such an important weekend for airwear servicemen and women. And I wanted to make that a, a vital point. Let's get into NASCAR a little bit again, as I said. Last week, Chase Elliott, Kyle Busch. Chase leading with about 27, 28 laps to go. Kyle gets into him, turns him, 
Chase actually flipped him the bird. Chase, the son of Hall of Famer and legend Bill Elliott. Showing a little bit of his dad's charisma and flair. Awesome Bill from Dawsonville, baby. Chase Elliott. I think things have kind of calmed down after a talk with Kyle Busch. I don't expect any blow over. But hey, anything can happen. This is the biggest race of the year. 600 miles. And I, for one, am excited. Now, this event was first held in 1960, with Joe Lee Johnson being the first winner. The next year, Pearson was the winner in the 21 car, I do believe, with the Wood Brothers. There's been some pretty pretty awesome first-time winners, and I named one in Jeff Gordon, his first win in the 94 season. Hendrick Motorsports leads all-time and team owner wins at 11. Gibbs has four. Roush has four. And the Wood Brothers, again, have four. I put Stuart Haas down. I'm a Tony Stewart fan. He has zero. (laughs) But we hope to maybe change that tonight. Chevy is heavily dominant, 24 wins. Ford with 12, and Toyota with 5. Toyota is coming off of last year's victory in Martin Truex Jr. But I wanted to do a little bit of, wanted to give these guys credit, getting back into their cars, getting back on the track, doing what they know how to do, doing what they do best. I'm really happy. I'm honored. I know they're honored to be racing on what is such an important day to many, many Americans and the servicemen and women around the world again. We can't thank you enough. You're the reason we have this event. I will make a little bit of a prediction. I'm not going with the fan favorite or least favorite. I don't know. It depends on how you view him. Kyle Busch. But I will say, watch out for the Gibbs cars, which Denny Hamlin, Truex again, Truex feels pretty comfortable at that track. But I'm going I'm going off the wheels here. I'm saying Matt DiBendetto takes the Wood Brothers famed number 21 car to victory lane tonight to give them their fifth all-time Coke 600 win. Matty D, you got this. Now, this is a race of will and who can keep their stuff going the longest. And this is truly the team sport. You're going to need your team on point. Gas mileage has played a factor many, many times in the past. So I'm excited just to see how this pans out. I'm actually thinking about doing a post-race analysis. I may not do that. But I want to thank everyone for listening to Just In Time for Sports. My friends, family, you guys have been amazing through all this journey. I was honestly a little nervous, but once I got to talking, once I ramble, it's hard for me to stop. 
If you listen, please rate and leave a review. In the, few, in the next few days, I think it will be available to the Apple Store, the Apple Podcasts. So please check it out there. And guys, have a blessed and safe Memorial Weekend. I can't thank you enough for listening and support and your outpouring of love and all my supporters out there. Thank you very, very much. God bless. And thank you. We're just in time to go watch some TV. Thank you.